You're listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law. Today we're talking about R&D grants for business. I've got a special guest here today to give us an accounting perspective on R&D grants. Greg Will. Greg is the principal of the accounting practice Armstrong Dawson. He comes from a background in a previous life as a partner within first and second tier professional service firms and is here today to share some of his knowledge of this area of R&D grants, which I feel is really relevant to the sorts of topics that often come up when I'm chatting with our clients about resources that might help to expand their businesses. So, Greg, it's great to have you here today. Thank you. Looking forward to it. (laughs) How about we start off by um, maybe you give us a bit of a background on what R&D grants are available for businesses right now. R&D grants, they're, they're, they're in the news at the moment. The ATO, they're a hot topic with them and you may have seen them being discussed in recent AFR publications. An R&D grant is a research and development grant and that allows a taxpayer to claim back or get an offset on any of their eligible research and development activities. Research and development activities is where you're looking to uh, experiment or develop or innovate a product that is able to benefit your business or be able to benefit other businesses and you're able to get a tax offset on that. And so how have you seen this work with your client? What are the biggest opportunities that you've seen your clients use these grants for? Particularly startup businesses use R&D grants a lot. So do established businesses, but startup businesses use it a lot because we're in the early stage of a business and you're developing a product. The R&D grant allows you, subject to certain turnover hurdles, which I'll go through in a minute, but allows you to get a a cash refund for part of the R&D expenses that you claim and you pay for. It really allows a cash injection into a business, particularly where they may not have any revenue or they may be starting up. A lot of businesses in the startup space use the R&D grant initially to sometimes fund or seed their business. You talked about the requirement for some sort of innovation in relation to getting the R&D grant. What does that actually mean from a practical perspective? From a practical perspective, you need to be uh, taking on an experiment. You need to be going into an area that's unknown and there's a level of technical risk. It may be developing a type of widget or a new type of software or algorithm or something that the outcome of that experiment or experimentation is not known. And so by doing that, you've got risk in doing that. And what the government is trying to do big picture is provide an incentive for Australian businesses to to do that research and do that development on that experimentation and get an offset of those costs. Mm. The topic of apps has been thrown around a lot recently. I know a lot of our clients are getting involved in apps. In fact, we're looking at getting close to launching an app or developing an app for our business soon as well. But 
apps, one of those areas, traditionally they've been seen as innovative, but now obviously there's a lot of it around. Let's say in this area of apps, what would make an app innovative enough for it to be something that we could be looking at R&D grants for? Perfect question. I get this question a lot. If we look at something like an app, the first thing I'd say is that an R&D grant cannot be claimed on something that has already been developed or already known. It's on new knowledge. Mm. And an app itself, there's, as you know, there's thousands, hundreds, millions of apps out there. Mm. But in the subset or in relation to a particular app, there may be a new type of algorithm or a new type of approach within that app that is being developed and hasn't been developed before. And so there is experimentation in designing and building that app. And so that would be regarded as research and development. But if you purely are just saying, look, I'm and I'm an accounting firm or a law firm or an engineering firm, and we just want to develop an app to be able to communicate with our clients a lot easier, that would not be research and development because one, that is not new or or were innovative in that there's there's those apps around at the moment. And so because there's nothing new in relation to that concept of, of, of developing that app, that wouldn't be considered research and development. But if there was an app that uh, nobody had developed yet or an app that somebody had developed in a certain way, but you were looking to do it in a different way where there was either new innovation in an experimentation or something that had not been done before within an app or part of an app, then that would be considered research and development. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so I I guess to make it even clearer, do you have any examples? Have you worked with any clients who have used R&D grants in app development? Yes. We've had a number of clients that have gone into and looked at apps and software. And what we've got to clearly explain to them is two things. So I'll give you one example. There was a client of ours that developed an app And one, there was a type of app that had been sort of developed down this line in the US, but this client of ours, there was a whole lot of different algorithms within the back end of this app that had never been uh, developed in this way before. And so because of that, the app qualified for research and development. But if this client just took the app that was currently had been developed and just improve upon that, then that wouldn't have been R&D. And I'll just make a a very clear distinction. An R&D grant can only be applied for and and be be successful if you're looking at technical risk, not at commercial risk. And I'll explain those two topics. Commercial risk is around looking at a technical outcome or something that is unknown. Commercial risk is more around how do we commercialise or how do we sell this app. You might... Mm build an app and for whatever reason you're spending money to try to get people to buy it that's not r&d that's just trying to commercial that application itself but if within that application you're doing something to develop improve and do something different within that app irrespective of whether people buy it or not or if you commercialize it then that is r&d and that's the clear distinction between some people get confused around commercializing something versus the technical risk on something. And that's the clear fence line between what innovation is and what's not. Mm, Okay. And so then the funds that are delivered as part of the grant, 
can be used, obviously, for the development, but I understand they can also be used for associated fees, like, for example, legal fees. Is that right? Yes. Let me just talk through some of the criteria so that it it builds on what you're saying. Firstly, in order to, so the first thing you've got to do is that any activity that you're performing, you've got to determine whether that is all innovation under the research and development guidelines. And there's a whole lot there, which I won't go into because it's about two pages worth. But basically, it's around doing something that's a technical risk, that's innovative, all those things we've just spoken about. But you have to have a minimum in any one year of $20,000 spent in relation to research and development. If you haven't spent up to $20,000 or uh, over $20,000, then you cannot claim R&D for that year. Mm-hmm. It then falls down to what is your turnover? There's a difference if your turnover is less than $20 million a year or greater than $20 million a year. So if you're under $20 million a year and you've spent more than $20,000 in R&D activities, there's two ways that you can um, or two ways that you get benefit from claiming the grant. One is if you are in a taxable situation, so you are paying tax, that you get an offset of 43.5% of any R&D expenditure that you've spent. So let me use some examples here in a minute. Or you get a cash refund of the 43.5% of the research and development expenditure. So I'll use an example to make it clear. Mm. Let's just say we've got a business, it's got no turnover and it's got no profit for this year, but they've spent $100,000 on R&D activities, which qualifies for the grant. If you times that $100,000 by 43.5%, that's $43,500, you would get a check in in the post from the ATO for $43,500 for spending that 100 grand on R&D expenditure. What is included then in that R&D expenditure? Obviously, wages, fees, Yes, it's broken down into two parts. Firstly, there's what's called core activities, and then the other part is called supporting activities. The core activities is anything that's in direct relationship to to doing the R&D activities. Just think about it. If we were developing, back to your original example, either an app or some software, we would have developers, we would have possibly some engineers, and we'd have other consultants or expenditure that was directly related to the core activity of developing that that application or software. And then to your example, there's then supporting activities, which could include any auxiliary expenditures like legal fees, accounting fees, wages, anything that then supports that activities. And I'll talk about how you um, calculate those in a minute. But those two activities of core activities, what I would deem direct costs of the R&D activity and then the supporting activities, the indirect costs, you can look at both of those expenditure to put those together for your total claim of R&D, which those indirect costs um, do include things like rent and other auxiliary costs, which form part of the cost to do the R&D activities. To use an example, and I'll use some of the um, expenses that you've claimed, obviously, If you're performing R&D activities, and let's just say you're performing R&D activities to develop a widget, one of the things you would do as you're developing that widget or on the finalisation of developing that widget, 
you would want to either trademark or protect mm. that widget from a legal perspective mm. in order to make sure that obviously all the expenditure that you've spent, that you can make sure you can maximise that. Legal fees in, in, in relation to trademarks and other IP protection would be um, a core activity of the R&D grant because that's directly related to what you're doing. But for an example of an indirect one, if you have a business and let's just say 20% of your time in the business is spent in relation to this R&D and the other 80% is in relation to the normal running of the business, then then using that example, 20% of any auxiliary expenditure like rent, like wages, like stationery, like a few other things, you could apply that to the R&D grant as supporting activities in relation to the R&D. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, so it sounds like there's possibly some opportunity here as well for some business sectors. In my mind, as you're talking, I'm just thinking developers and engineers who do a lot of work in this space potentially can be using the concept of R&D grants for their clients to be funding their work with them. Correct. There is a bit of a tip and trap there, which I'll just allude to now. So if you're in a business environment like an engineer or a developer or something like that, the tip and trap is this, that in order to claim the R&D grant, you must be the ultimate owner of the IP or trademark that is being developed. Just think about this. If you're a developer and you're helping a client of yours develop this app, the question is who claims the R&D grant, the developer themselves or the client that's engaged the developer? The answer is whoever's going to have the ultimate ownership of whatever's being developed Mm. uh, in that case, because otherwise then we'd have two people claiming the R&D on the same thing. We have to be very clear on that perspective. And the other tip or trap is there is that It's also around making sure that in terms of the ownership that even though you may be helping to develop it for a client, it's got to be very clear as to who's going to claim it because it may not be clear who's going to own the IP at the end of the day or it mightn't have been in the engagement or the the terms and conditions when you're working with a client. So it might be a little bit vague. You want to make sure if it is vague, one, that it's clear, but if it's not clear, You'd have to determine if the client of yours is going to claim the R&D because if you want to claim it as well, that's where you're going to get picked up trying to claim the R&D twice for the same thing. And look, this is a really interesting point that you've made because it's something that I see a lot when organisations are engaging people to create something on their behalf. Often they fail to think clearly about IP ownership and IP ownership of the underlying product or or service that is being developed. And it just shows, you know, not only is the R&D grant then questionable in relation to who has the rights of claiming that grant, the underlying issue of who actually owns that underlying intellectual property is potentially even a bigger issue that really needs to be dealt with at the outset. Correct. And further to that, that's why you look at an extension of what we're just talking about, that The claimant doesn't have to do the R&D work themselves. So you can contract or outsource somebody else to do the R&D work. Obviously, you're paying them to do that. But the only determinant is is who owns the IP. You don't have to do the work yourself. You can actually think to yourself, well, 
I want to develop, and let's just use this app example again, and, and something new and that's innovative and hasn't been done before. I'm not an expert in that. So I'm going to engage a, a developer to help me do that. You're not actually doing it yourself. You're engaging mm. someone to help you. As long as you own the IP, then that's when you can claim. It's very important to think, hang on a minute, I'm not actually physically doing the development myself. That doesn't matter. It's who owns the IP. Mm. I guess we're lining up here our contractual rights together Correct. with our accounting um, opportunities, I guess, yeah. which is yeah. what we're talking about here. It really is an opportunity for businesses in this area. Mm. Tips do you have then for businesses who want to apply, or, or on the flip side, what have you seen go wrong that you would recommend <laughs> businesses try to avoid? There's been a lot of press lately that R and D grants have become very, very popular because particularly there's been a lot more startups and fintechs within the community and 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 business world, and so there's a lot of activity within R and D. So the tips and traps, just to run through a few of these. Firstly. Because there's been so much popularity around R&D grants, there's been a lot of people come into the sector in order to help people do R&D, some very, very good and some not so good. And what you're seeing out there in the sector, a lot of R&D consultants or helpers actually charge a client on a success fee basis. Mm. Now, we as a firm, we haven't taken the view of charging anything on a success fee basis. Most uh, qualified and and are reputable firms look at a, a fixed fee basis. And the reason being is that if you are a good R&D consultant, you should be able to help a client and determine pretty quickly whether the R&D activities that they're doing are successful in that they are R&D or not. If, you, if it's unsure of whether the R&D is successful, is actually R&D, the question would be is, well, why are you claiming for this if it may not be R&D? So the, mm. whole, the whole issue around a success fee around this, I feel is not the right sort of outcome in order to, way, to help clients get an R&D grant. I feel that it should be looked at on a pure, you know, so the client knows how much it's going to cost and the consultant knows how much it's going to cost, or irrespective of whether the the claim's going to be a million dollars or twenty thousand dollars, it shouldn't matter. Subject mm. to the work involved on that. Yeah. The second thing is that what people have to understand is is that you can't double dip, and I'll explain what I mean by double dip. If you're claiming R and D expenditure, you can't also claim that as a tax deduction. So I'll use an example just to so people are clear. So if I've got a company, and to make it simple, all I've done in the whole year is R&D activity, R&D expenditure, so there's no other costs in my business except R&D, and those R&D activities total $100,000, and I'm claiming that $100,000 for the R&D grant, and if you remember my original example, you'd get back $43,500 in cash for doing that. You can't also then claim as a carried forward tax loss that $100,000. That $100,000 loss would be reduced to zero because you've claimed it as R&D grant. You mm. can't claim it as a tax loss and an R&D grant. You can only claim one or the other. That's mm -hmm. the other sort of trap that some people fall into. The other trap, and I'll just talk through the process. So once you've done your R&D application, that goes to a government department by the name of Oz Industry. And Oz Industry 
register that R&D activity and they give you a certain reference number and, um, and letter confirming that. And then once you've got that, you use that reference number and that letter to put that R&D expenditure with that reference number into your tax return so you can claim the R&D grant. What some people mistakenly think is that when Oz Industry actually provide that reference number and that letter, they sometimes feel that that is an approval or that's been accepted as research and development. The Oz Industry, all they do is register the research and development. They're not there to say whether it's actually R&D or not. The ATO, they are the ones that determine at the end of the day whether it is a qualifying R&D expenditure or not. So we've seen clients come to us from other accounting firms in the past where they felt that the R&D had been approved because they've got that letter from Oz Industry. A year later, the ATO has knocked on their door and said, we just want to make sure that you've got all of your documentation to prove that the R&D claim that you've claimed is actually legitimate. And they've showed them the Oz Industry letter and they said, well, that's fine. Your R&D has been registered, but that doesn't mean that it's actually R&D. So we don't believe it's R&D and we're going to knock this back and you're going to have to pay back all of the R&D that you've claimed. So the trap is there. Don't feel just because you've got the Oz Industry letter that, you're, um, that you've been approved, the R&D. The other thing sometimes we see is some uh, R&D consultants get a little bit aggressive around that if you're running a business and you're looking at R&D, unless your total business is in relation to R&D activities, very, very rarely would you be able to claim 100% of all of your, ex your expenses and overhead in your business as R&D. You might be, let's just say you're in the business of, I don't know, you're in the travel business and you're looking to develop a new app for your travel business, which is R&D. You couldn't claim all of the costs of your travel business as R&D expenditure. You could only claim this expenditure that directly or indirectly relates to R&D. Be very unlikely in that example that 100% of all of your costs could be applied to R&D. It's very important that you um, make sure that if someone tries to tell you that you can claim 100% of everything, in our view, that's very unlikely and, and you don't see that very often. Well, that's a great summary. I love that. How do people start with the process then? What, what's the process? If someone thinks that they've got something, let's go back to our app that they think yeah. is innovative, where do they start? Where they start is that, look, there's a lot of helpful information on websites like the ATO website or the Oz Industry website or with your local advisor, whether that be your accountant or your lawyer. But if you're looking to invent, innovate or experiment with something that you believe may be innovation or may be research and development, there are some definitions. As I mentioned, they have a lot of different subsets, but there's a number of, of useful information and links on those websites or with your advisor that they could provide to you what the actual definition of R&D is, just so you can or they can help you determine, is this R&D to start with? And then if it's R&D, you go down the process of whether you want to claim it or not. 
Great. Okay. And I think we've spoken about this in the past and you said that you actually work with accountants in some of these areas where some of our listeners are accountants. Maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview of how you work with accountants and the the opportunities that you have for accountants to work with you in this area. For sure. As I mentioned, that most consultants or most specialists that do R&D are just that, they're specialists in this work. And so not every accounting firm does R&D activities. With the accountants we work with, they might be great at the tax returns and accounts and tax advice and all those other auxiliary taxes, but they're not specialists in R&D. We work with other accounting firms and directly for clients where they may have clients that need R&D help. And so they'd come to us and say, look, I've got Mr. Smith here, who's a client of ours. We'd like to work with you to provide R&D services to us so we can either work directly with their client or for the accounting firm themselves and provide the necessary R&D services. And then the accounting firm can either deal with us direct or the client can deal with us to help out their client. Great. Okay. Fabulous. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on to Talking Law today. Just as a quick recap, I might just give a little recap for our listeners in relation to what we talked about. Obviously, we're talking about the concept of R&D grants for business. And some great tips that you gave us there, Greg, is to be careful of how charges for advisors work. So success fees versus fixed fees. Don't double dip in your expenses. Don't assume a letter from Oz Industry means you have the grant. (laughs) Correct. Be careful in what you're um, actually claiming and be suspicious if it's 100% of everything. Yeah. And finally, be careful of IP clauses in your agreements and IP protection. Exactly. Great. Where can people learn more about you and your business if they're interested in doing some work in R&D grants? Obviously, they can contact you direct, Joanna, or they can um, see me at, at, in terms of my business at Armstrong Dawson and the website is www.armstrongdawson.com.au or they can look me up on the web and my LinkedIn profile will you'll be shown there and they, can, and they can contact me direct through there. Fabulous. If you'd like more information about this topic, either contact Greg or head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode. If you'd like to read in more detail, back again, if you can't quite remember everything that Greg just talked to us about, because there was a lot of detail there today and it was really very interesting. You'll also find on our website details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you'd like help with the legal protections like trademarks or IP clauses in your agreements that we talked about today. And we'll also have a link there so that you can get in contact with Greg if you'd like to from that site. You've been listening to Talking Law with Joanna Oki. We hope to see you again in our next episode. And Greg, thanks once again for coming along. No problems. Great. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au. Thank you.